It's MegaCon, the largest comic book, anime, gaming, and multimedia event in the southeastern U.S. returns. MegaCon from March 21st through the 23rd, 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center in Magical Orlando, Florida. Confirmed comic book guests include Frank Bruner, Neil Adams, Bill Sinkevich, Mark Wade, Ron Mars, Greg Land, Michael Golden, Dennis Calero, George Perez, Brandon Peterson, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, Collie Hamner, Carl Story, Renee Winterstater, Billy Tucci, and Brian Polito. Just added Nick Bradshaw, Adam Kubert, Dan Jurgens, Mike Miller, Kevin Eastman, Joshua Ortega, Digger, Bart Sears, Ethan Van Skyver, Mike McCone, Frank Thierry, Mike Mayhew, and Chuck Dixon. Confirmed media guests include stars from AMC's The Walking Dead, Torchwood, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, and many, many, many more. Plus I, Scott Gardner, will be there representing the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Tickets are available online now at www.megaconvention.com. Children 10 and under are free with paid adult ticket. That's Megacon 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center, Magical Orlando, Florida, March 21st through the 23rd. For information, contact info at megaconvention.com or visit www megaconvention.com that's megacon 2014 be there hey everybody magnus here just want to let you know that this episode is believe it or not a complete coincidence. I don't mean that in the sense that it was unplanned, because obviously I planned this son of a bitch, but I mean this more from the angle that Michael Bailey from Views from the Long Box, it, tur it, it, it turns out, is either is or has been, or already has or whatever, covered this same exact issue that I am going to cover in this episode. Now, it's a total coincidence. Great minds think alike, and his show is awesome, and so it's not a, an issue where one of us is intentionally competing with the other. But at the same time, we do have a little bit of an opportunity here. As Bailey himself points out, this could make for fun dueling commentaries. So there you go. If you want, just feel free to, com to compare my coverage of this subject over and against Bailey's coverage of this subject, and I'm pretty sure we'll all know which one you think is better. Just be nice to Bailey about it, that's all I ask. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. No! Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Hello, and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and around here I talk about comics. Sometimes movies and TV shows, but mostly comics. It's how I roll. It's also how my guest rolls. My loyal subjects, today we're in the presence of greatness. 
And for once, I'm not just talking about myself here either. <laughs> nope. Today, I'm joined by no less than the host of the Just One of the Guys podcast, Joe Anthrax himself, Mr. Sean Angle. How you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, Trentus. Thanks for that introduction. I appreciate you uh, referring to me by my uh, goofy email internet name, but uh, yeah, that's that's cool. And sadly, it has nothing to do with the band Anthrax or the... Uh, and it kind of has something to do with the disease anthrax, but yeah, that that's neither here nor there. I was actually going to ask you what the origin of that was, because it's it's just a really cool name. You, you want to know? I, I've been kind of saving this for a different show, like you know my last show, but it's I would I'd be more than happy to do it here. Sure. It's kind of it's kind of a nerdy thing, and I'll try and make this as quick as possible. When I was in high school, a lot of people a lot of people who are nerds got together and played Dungeons and Dragons. Of course, you know, I was one of those nerds in high school. We were getting together with some of our friends. We were going to have a weekend, big old campaign. Everyone was coming up with their characters and coming up with names that were like out of a Tolkien or an R.A. Salvatore book. And I couldn't come up with anything for my character's name. So I drew from two sort of nerdy things I liked. First was like the Snoopy character from Peanuts and Joe Cool. So because big peanut fan so joe was the first thing then the second one was from the film Yellowbeard. if you remember that it's a sort of offshoot monty python film where graham chapman plays Yellowbeard, this pirate and he's searching for this lost treasure on his on this weird uh island and the uh group of uh scientists are trying to get to the island and they're trying to sneak Yellowbeard along this uh scientific expedition so they're trying to come up with a name for him And uh, Graham Chapman is coming up with all these, you know, obnoxious names for him as a doctor, like Dr. Death, Dr. Maim, Dr. Kill. And some character posits that his name should be Dr. Anthrax. And Graham Chapman goes, yes, Dr. Anthrax. So I merged the two names. That became my character. And from then on, it sort of just snowballed through there. I used that as like. During the BBS years, when people were communicating on bulletin board systems with really slow 1200 baud modems. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Skype name, or that was my email name. Uh, so, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So, that's the kind of nerdy explanation for that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Sean is the host of the Just One of the Guys podcast, which centers on the adventures of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. Now, at the time Sean and I record this, he's getting very close to his 100th episode, which works out to be the 100th issue of the Green Lantern series, by which time Kyle had long since taken over all to himself. So I mention all of this first to congratulate Sean on his success, and second because the storyline surrounding the 100th issue is one of my favorite Kyle stories of all time. You see, kiddies, there was a time when Kyle reciting the Green Lantern Oath was kind of a rare treat. Now, it's Wednesday. Uh, What say you, Sean? No, I agree. Um, The fact that Kyle came into the series as completely unrelated to the core, completely unrelated to the history of Green Lantern, not knowing the oath and coming in and becoming this Green Lantern on his own made him a really interesting character. He was... He was the Green Lantern that anyone could have been. He wasn't chosen by a magical ring, and he wasn't chosen by these uh, 
mystic guardians. It was all sort of happenstance and luck. And we got in this, uh, in issues 50 through 100, the progression of this character and his coming into being a really incredible superhero. And by issue 100, he was pretty much, he was accepted by the Justice League in the DC universe. Right. He was a hero in his own right. And in issue 100, he gets to meet with the previous Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, in a sort of time-warped episode where Hal from the past comes and meets with Kyle from the present. Right. And one of the things that happened with Hal, as you know, in issue 50, was he went crazy and became Parallax and tried to destroy the DC universe in a series of events like Zero Hour, and then he redeemed himself in Final Night and all that. So it was really interesting to see Hal and Kyle interact in these uh, in these issues around issue 100, and it, I agree, it is a really great storyline. Well, and that's also helped by the. Um, it's funny we haven't even introduced the topic yet, and we're already getting off topic. But um, you know, there is a uh, this this is one of those stories that just did it didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened in the context of Kyle having somewhat vanquished Hal Jordan uh, back in Green Lantern uh, number zero. Uh, which took place right after Zero Hour. In fact, this was kind of an unofficial Zero Hour wrap-up, but not really because it was more about the Green Lantern stuff. But nevertheless, anyway. So for Kyle to, if he, if that had been his first exposure to to Hal Jordan, was in uh, that uh, the 100th episode or issue, I should say. Now, geez, now I'm doing it. But um, anyway, if that had been the first time he ever met uh, Hal Jordan, was in uh, the 100th issue. I think that story would have a very different emotional content to it because, you know, he's not just talking now to his predecessor. He's talking to a man that was his enemy and he killed him, basically, is what it came down to. Or at least we thought he might, you know, I don't think anyone really knew at the time if that he was for sure dead, but he was basically presumed, uh, presumed dead, right? And anyway, so I'm, I'm, ram- mm-hmm. I'm rambling, so you can just ignore me, but, um, I invited Sean on this podcast uh, partly because I'm gonna I'm gonna cover Green Lantern Rebirth from 2004 today, and uh, Sean is one of the uh, bigger Green Lantern fans on my Facebook. That's partly it, and then partly because he's been on the show before, even though that episode hasn't come out yet as we record, and partly it's because Ethan Van Skyver had other things to do. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Seriously, the pitch is uh, pretty straightforward. Somebody, I don't know who, but somebody at DC had decided that the days of Kyle Rayner being the only Lantern in the DC universe, those days had come and gone. And it was time to bring back not only Hal Jordan, but the entire core. And to that end, Jeff Johns wrote and Ethan Van uh, Skyver drew a six-issue miniseries entitled Green Lantern Rebirth that did all of those things. And before I get into that, I figured Sean and I ought to give our respective Green Lantern origin stories. Now, for me, I never really paid much attention to Green Lantern when I was growing up, by which I mean Hal Jordan. Uh, He and Guy Gardner had made a 
a couple of guest appearances in the post-crisis Superman titles, which I was voraciously collecting at the time, but otherwise, all things Green Lantern were pretty much off my radar. Now, a big chunk of that is because I was having to keep up with all of my comics on something like a $5 per week allowance or something, and it's a big enough pain in the ass to collect Superman and the other titles I followed on that kind of a budget. But adding in the Green Lantern books into the mix would have it would have just complicated things even more. That's a main issue. But one of the other issues is that I I felt like I had no real access point with Hal Jordan. I was a kid, and I guess I was a sort of meat and potatoes fan of comics. And what I wanted was good old fashioned superheroes beating the shit out of good old fashioned supervillains. Lots of action and shit blowing up and, you know, some character development maybe and some other stuff. Which pretty much alienated me from some of what was going on with Hal Jordan at the time, where it looked, however true this was or wasn't, it looked like Hal was constantly on those David Banner wanderings where he spent entire issues digging gardens and bullshit like that, getting hassled by the local sheriff's deputies, and inevitably he'd get fed up with their crap. He'd turn green, kick some ass, go back to normal, and wander on to the next town. And that was pretty far off from what 12-year-old Magnus wanted from his superhero comics. Now, for whatever reason, the powers that were at DC decided it was time for a major overhaul, and as uh, Sean said a while ago, in 1994, they allowed Ron Mars to basically reinvent Green Lantern as a comic book in his own image. Mars eliminated not just the Green Lantern Corps, but really anybody who had a ring, including Alan Scott and Guy Gardner during his black leather jacket phase. Because it was the 90s, and you know what? I, yeah, fuck you. I still like Guy with the yellow ring and the leather jacket, so take that, haters. Yeah, uh, you you won't find any argument here. Good. In fact, I, I pretty much dedicated a large portion of my show to how awesome Guy Gardner with a black leather jacket and yellow ring was. But that was, that, that was one of my favorite strings of your shows, by the way. I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, in their place was Kyle Rayner, the lone ring the lone ring bearer in the uh, DC universe, chosen completely at random by Ganthet to carry the torch. And I have to say, that seemed like the access point for Green Lantern that I'd been waiting for. And so, obviously, I took full advantage of it and got in pretty – not quite at the ground floor. Um, Kyle's first issue as the Green Lantern, I believe, was number 51. Yes. And my my first issue of the book was 52. So not quite there, but you know, I was pretty close. And as a character – Kyle had his ups and downs, his victories and losses, but what always worked for me was that he might have been chosen completely at random to be not just a Green Lantern, but the Green Lantern, and so he worked like hell to be worthy of it. He never viewed this as an entitlement, and except for the occasional you know, temper tantrum or bonehead decisions – he never really viewed his ring as a as a burden either. Uh, to him, being Green Lantern was a great honor, and it was something he tried to take seriously and do right by. And plus, he was an everyman in the DCU in a time and a place when the DCU didn't really have a whole lot of everyman superheroes. 
And so Kyle was kind of different just by showing up. So he's a rookie and he's just kind of, you know, Joe average. And I think the other thing that plays for me is that Kyle reinforced what was becoming DC's calling card, especially at the time of legacy characters where the mantle of a certain superhero was temporarily handled by one character for a while. And then someone else comes along and takes over. And Honestly, the fact is, you can't really do that with big icons like Superman or Batman, but as someone with absolutely positively no investment in Hal Jordan whatsoever, it felt like, you know what, you could do that with Green Lantern, and you know you could do it with The Flash, with Starman, arguably Dr. Fate, and other characters. Of course, that was then, and this is now, So, and I'll deal with some more of that later on, but for now, uh, you feel like sharing your origin story? Sean? Yeah. Um, I started collecting Green Lantern on the recommendation of one of my friends in college who said, who was really enthused by the Guy Gardner character. He was reading Justice League International and he said, the Guy Gardner character in this is just hilarious. So I started picking up Justice League International. I thought, yeah, this Guy Gardner character is pretty cool. There was a Green Lantern book coming out. I'll start collecting that. And I started collecting, I think, around issue three and went picked up some of the back issues. Then I went and picked up Emerald Dawn, which I think was the definitive origin of Hal Jordan. Yeah. And I picked up Emerald Dawn 2, which I thought was an incredible story dealing with Hal and Sinestro and defying the character of Sinestro and then just carried on. Uh, Guy Gardner was still one of my favorite characters in the Green Lantern lore, and I collected his books, including the Yellow Ring thing, up until him losing his powers uh, during the uh, Emerald Fallout, and even the very goofy 90s-ness of Guy getting, quote-unquote, Voldarian morphing powers, which (laughs) turned him into a living weapon where he could grow guns out of his hands. Yes, it's as goofy as it sounds, but under the writing of Bo Smith, there was the manliest man in comics. Exactly. He 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 wrote an incredibly enjoyable character and took that goofy sort of aspect and made it compelling. And he made Guy Gardner into a character who wasn't a douchey frat boy that just annoyed everyone who's around and turned him into a actual hero. Now. Carrying on from that, when Hal Jordan snapped and became Parallax and all this, I started following Kyle Rayner as well. And Kyle Rayner then became my favorite Green Lantern. He was, like I said, the idea of him not being chosen, of it being kind of random and him being the only one was uh, really compelling to me. It was like this could happen to anyone. You don't have to be completely fearless. And because of that, he did have to work to be Green Lantern. It wasn't predestined for him. It wasn't like Hal Jordan or Guy Gardner or Jon Stewart who were fearless. He did have fear and he was capable of failing and he worked harder to be Green Lantern than I think the other characters were. And that is why I really enjoyed Kyle as a character. I think you nailed it on the head when you were describing Kyle. It, he had a sense of, it, he, ha- he had a sense that he needed to uphold this legacy of Green Lantern. And that's what drove him to strive to be the best Green Lantern that he could be. And it made him 
work harder to do his heroic things other than rather than the characters who came before him who were just sort of expected to do it. Right. And I, I think that's actually been a, a huge part of the character's appeal ever since his introduction. And um, anyway, I've just I've never heard anyone quite say it like that, like like we have. I mean, I'm sure there have been a few. It's just I think that on some level, that's something that a lot of people have responded to. And so whether they could verbalize it or not. Now, as I said, today's comic is Green Lantern Rebirth. And also, as I said, it resurrected Hal Jordan the Guardians, and also the entire Green Lantern Corps. And thanks to Wikipedia, I've got a handy little summary of the story right here and ready to go. So, without further ado, here we go. Green Lantern Rebirth, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Ethan Van Skyver, and summarized by some jack-off on Wikipedia. Story's uh, uh, summary starts, The Green Lantern of Earth, Kyle Rayner, crashes at Highway Hill on Earth in a spacecraft, mumbling to the two hikers who find him, it has a name. His power begins speaking. Parallax is coming. A series of strange and disturbing incidents then begins to occur. Jordan, pronouncing judgment on the villain Black Hand, becomes unable to focus clearly and senses that something is wrong, telling his friend Oliver Queen, a.k.a. Green Arrow, none of this should have happened. This isn't me. This isn't who I am. The shape-shifting Voldarian physiology of former GL Guy Gardner begins going haywire. Coast City, long destroyed, suddenly reappears to two pilots flying over it, though the only building that's restored is Hal Jordan's old home. When confronted, Jordan tells the Justice League that he's not responsible for the restored Coast City. Stewart, however, suddenly goes berserk, attacking the other heroes, his ring now intoning, Parallax is coming. Meanwhile, at the Justice League Watchtower on the moon, the emergency power ring that Jordan once gave Green Arrow duplicates itself and places itself on, on a Guy Gardner's finger, restoring him as a Green Lantern. Back at Highway Hill, the extraterrestrial Green Lantern Kilowog appears and inexplicably attacks Kyle Rayner. However, Ganthet, one of the guardians of the universe, appears to stop Kilowog attempting to protect the coffin, which it is revealed holds the corpse of Hal Jordan. He and Kilowog engage in a fierce battle, and Rayner himself feels something within his ring, attempting to take over his will, much as with Stuart and Kilowog. Ganthet teleports Rayner and Jordan's corpse to the Watchtower. Meanwhile, Jordan investigates the appearance of his old apartment building, where he's confronted by the Parallax version of himself, who engages in a battle of wills with the spirit of vengeance, bonded to Jordan's soul. It's then that the Spectre explains to Jordan the truth about Parallax, while simultaneously on the moon, Raynor does so to Queen. Raynor explains that he journeyed to the edge of the universe within, within Sector 3599, and on the tenth planet from the star Pagalus, the inhabitants told him that Parallax was actually a yellow, demonic, parasitic entity, try saying that three times fast, which was born at the beginning of sentience, feeding on fear, creating terror in anything it came into contact with, and causing entire civilizations to destroy themselves out of paranoia. It was this creature that the guardians of the universe imprisoned within the, the central power battery on Oa, using fear's opposite energy, willpower. 
Rayner explains that there is an, an, ele an emotional electromagnetic spectrum into which the collective willpower of the universe is collected by the central power battery and that green willpower is the most pure. Parallax had lain dormant for billions of years, his true nature covered up by the Guardians to prevent anyone from trying to free it, and thus it had eventually come to be referred to as simply the yellow impurity, quote-unquote. This was the reason why the rings were useless against the color yellow. Parallax weakened its power over the corresponding spectrum, and hence only someone capable of overcoming great fear could master the power ring. The Guardians, therefore, selected only such persons to become Green Lanterns. But at some point in recent history, Parallax was awakened, weak and hungry. It reached out to Jordan through Jordan's own ring when Jordan was at his weakest, spending years influencing him, causing him increasing self-doubt and fear, even causing his hair to turn white at the temples. Because that's something that we all fucking needed an explanation for. Mm -hmm. Parallax's control over Jordan exploded with Jordan's grief over the destruction of Coast City. And it was Parallax's influence that was responsible for Jordan's subsequent murderous activity. When Jordan destroyed the central pow power battery, and I don't know why that term is so hard for me to say all of a sudden, when Dor Jordan destroyed the central power battery, he unknowingly freed Parallax, which grafted itself onto Jordan's soul and suppressed Ganthet's memories of the parasite. It was Parallax it, it, it was because Parallax was now free that Kyle Rayner's own ring did not have any weakness against Yellow, and following Jordan's sacrifice of his own life during the final night storyline, a momentary glimpse of Jordan's true heroic soul shining through Parallax's influence, the spirit of vengeance drew in Jordan's soul, as it explains to Jordan, in order to eradicate the, para, the parasitic Parallax from it. Green Arrow and Rainer are then attacked by Sinestro, apparently very much alive, who explains that it was he who used his Cordian yellow power ring to tap into Parallax's power and awakened it, and that the Sinestro whom Jordan killed was an illusory construct of Parallax's, created so that his murder would serve as the final stage of Jordan's susceptibility to the impurity in order to break his will. The Justice League of America... Justice Society of America, and the Teen Titans arrive in Coast City to attack Parallax, but the entity, the entity inhibits their efforts by causing them to feel fear. The Spirit of Vengeance, however, manages to overpower Parallax and finally removes the, paras the parasite from Jordan's soul. Needing a soul to inhabit, Parallax attacks Ganthet, while Jordan's soul is pulled toward the light of the afterlife. Ganthet manages to guide Jordan's soul back to his corp corporeal body on the moon. His soul and thoughts clear for the first time in a long time, Jordan emerges from the coffin, resurrected as a mortal human once again, and once again taking his place as a green lantern, the white portions of his hair even restored to their original brown because Sean and I were both crying and losing sleep over that. He and Sinestro engage in a fierce battle on the moon, and across entire star systems. Eventually, Jordan forces the renegade back into the, antima the antimatter universe to which he was first banished. Jordan and Rainer then journey to Coast City, where they, along with Jon Stewart, Guy Gardner, and Kilowog, free Ganthet from Parallax's possession and imprison the parasite back in the central power battery on Oa. 
The Guardians then announced that it is time, referring to rebuild the Green Lantern Corps. After the battle, Batman remains unconvinced that Jordan wasn't responsible for his actions as Parallax, but nevertheless decides that the universe needs a little more light anyway, quote-unquote, thus acknowledging that Jordan is back. Hal reestablished his relationships with his former uh, paramour, uh, Carol Ferris, who decides to reopen the Ferris airfield, and with Oliver Queen, who offers to let him stay in his home while Jordan rebuilds his life. Elsewhere, on Belle Reve Prison, Hector Hammond senses Jordan's resurrection and is delighted in awaiting the opportunity to, to engage with his foe once more. So, business. What did you think of all this, Sean? You know, overall, it is a good story, but it does seem, at least to me, kind of unnecessary. The way DC was going at the time was, like we said before, they had these legacy characters for the more minor characters in the DC universe. You had Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern. You had uh, Connor Hawk as Green Arrow. Mm -hmm. You had Wally West as The Flash. It felt like at this time, DC was allowing certain characters to progress on, and it felt very natural. When they decided to bring Hal Jordan back, for me, it felt like kind of a step back. It felt like, well, all these neat, interesting characters that we've spent all this time developing – Screw them. We want to have the original ones back, or at least the original from the Silver Age back, because we want to tell stories with these characters again. And at the time, it kind of irked me because I was really invested in the characters I mentioned, you know, Connor and Wally and Kyle, uh, Jack Knight as well as Starman. Oh, yeah. And uh, you, it, it seemed kind of unnecessary. It doesn't mean that the story is bad. There's some really good things. And I think Jeff Johns, when he is able to – when he's not dealing with the two big characters like Batman and Superman, I think he can do really good stories. Um, the artwork by even that Ethan Van Skyver, it's – for the time, I think a lot of people were really impressed with it because the detail and all of it. But looking back on it, he I think he's trying to be – a George Perez or a Phil Jimenez and trying to be so overly detailed and putting so much stuff in. And he's just not quite there yet. As far as I know, um, all that Van Skyver did prior to this was the impulse book mainly. And that was, uh, from what I remember was just kind of very cartoony anime type stuff. Right. And this is supposed to be very hyper-realistic and, the artwork just sometimes doesn't do it for me. But uh, overall, yeah, enjoyable, but I don't think as groundbreaking as, or at least for me, not as groundbreaking as, you know, what I would have, you know, it, it's not as groundbreaking. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, as far as um, my views on the art, um, look, I dig Ethan Van Skyver in general. But. At the same time, and I know this may seem like heresy to some people, kind of like Sean, I don't really understand why he's considered such a rock star. I mean, his art's good, but I don't see where it's miles ahead of anybody else. And something else, check out the guy's resume sometime. It's pretty thin. Now, it's not as thin as Alex Ross, but it's still pretty fucking thin, and... 
that's surprising considering how long the guy's been in the business. But in any case, um, I like the art, but had and I'm honestly I'm at a loss to think of who else might have been willing to to draw something like this. Like I don't know Michael Turner or somebody like that who was probably like really prolific at the time. Mm-hmm. I well, think I, that that might have been visually more interesting. Is what I'm saying. Well, like I said, um, I know Phil Jimenez was tapped to do Infinite Crisis, and I've always been a fan of Jimenez. And uh, he's got that sort of, like I say, classic George Perez type style. And I think that could have worked here. I think, you know, there was a there are a lot of scenes in here where there are a lot of characters and a lot of things going on, and there's a lot of detail, a lot of background detail. But I think Skyber's artwork just wasn't quite there yet. It was still a bit scratchy in times. Sometimes the characters looked a little off. Right. Um, Sinestro comes to mind on that one. Yeah, Sin- Sinestro looked very alien. I like the fact that they drew him with the really elongated head and all that. But yeah, he did look kind of off. Hector Hammond, he was just freaky. Now, I understand the big-headed Hector Hammond, and I, I get that, but this was just even further than I would have ever taken the character. So I think Ben Skyver, I think he just wasn't quite there yet. I think as he progresses along doing the Green Lantern books, I think he gets better, but I think he was just not quite ready for it at the time. I tend to agree. Now, uh, my thoughts on the story itself, because we're actually going backwards here in my notes. Um, For me, this is one of those stories that I've made peace with over the years. And I guess what I mean by that is when I first read it, I got to be honest, I was kind of pissed that Jeff Johns went, well, not only did he resurrect Hal Jordan and the entire Green Lantern Corps, he went so far out of his way to exonerate Hal in the process. I mean, mm. how many dozens or maybe even hundreds of people did, did he kill in Emerald Twilight? And I thought Johns was kind of letting him off the hook a little bit. And Sinestro was really the tipping point for me. It felt like after everything Sinestro had done up to that point in Green Lantern number 50 – he pretty much deserved whatever happened to him, and it, you know, his bad luck. Hal just happened to be in the right state of mind to kill the guy, and the problem there is that you can't really bring Hal back without bringing Sinestro back too. And so, the Sinestro that Hal killed had to be retconned. Oh, well, that was a construct, and the reason for that is because DC didn't want to get dragged into court for putting scrolls in their comics. So it's got to be a it's got to be a construct. <laughs> But Sinestro's survival really seemed like it was it was just trying too hard, yeah, I thought. And same thing with um, uh, Kilowog. Now, to be fair, Jeff Johns is not the one that brought Kilowog back, but I just can't shake the suspicion that if Joe Kelly hadn't brought Kilowog back, Johns would have done it himself somehow sooner or later. Yeah, because Kilowog is one of those characters that was built up to be a, a very important part of the Green Lantern mythos. As much as the Earth-based lanterns of Hal, Guy, and John, and if, to some extent even Alan Scott, Kilowog is probably one of the most recognized Green Lantern out there, You know, including Kyle as well. Right. But uh, 
yeah, in issue 50, there was, even in issue 49, there was massive death caused because of Hal Jordan. He essentially wiped out the entire Green Lantern Corps pretty brutally on in some aspects. And that was the kind of thing that irked me when I read this as well, that it was John's absolving Hal from all of this simply by saying he was possessed, giving him a sort of Linda Blair out. Right. That uh, he he wasn't in control of his actions. It was something else. Hal Jordan has always been a hero, and he always will be a hero. And it was just this evil, you know, from the beginning of time entity that caused him to do those things. And I don't like that explanation. It still kind of bugs me, but I'm kind of like you. I've come to accept it and come to sort of just say that it's part of what the new history is. Right. Well, and one of the things that actually kind of helped me, I don't know, put that into some kind of context, was that John's, what he did was he he absolved Hal of the moral responsibility of all of that, but he still deals with, with all of it in the, in the ongoing Green Lantern book that launched out of Rebirth. And, you know, he was facing a problem. Jeff Johns, he had a problem. You can't leave blood on Hal's hands. And because if you do, it has to be punished. But if Hal wasn't in full control of himself, if he was basically Parallax's bitch, that lets him be genuinely innocent of murder while still carrying the guilt and even a big part of the blame for all those deaths along for the ride with them. And that's basically the only way John... uh, Johns could bring Hal back. Otherwise, we're back to square zero, and Hal Jordan has to answer for his crime somehow. So I understand, you know, why he did it, but it's it's just that's not the way I felt at the time. At the, well, for, what I was going to say. Well, for me, I think there was some amount of absolution for the character of Hal Jordan or Parallax, however you want to you know, call him, in the Final Night series, where. In essence, he did redeem himself. But even with that, Johns felt that that wasn't quite enough, so they had to put in this sort of uh, alien entity that possessed him to completely absolve him of any wrongdoings. So it, it, it bugs me that they couldn't just let what happened be, and if they wanted to bring Hal back, you know, bring him back and let him have that sort of, like you said, that sort of feeling that he did wrong and have him deal with that. But, you know, I don't know. John's John's is going to do whatever he wants to do. Right. Well, and in relation to that, it all of this kind of leads into one of my main gripes about this series that even though I've kind of come to, I don't, I don't know if I want to go so far as say reconciliation with it, but I've sort of come to accept it. It needs to be said that one of the calling cards of Jeff Johns and his writing style, and I'm not saying this to pick on Johns because you know I I tore him apart in a previous episode, and I'm, I'm not going to do that here because I don't really think it's warranted. But one of his calling cards as a writer, and just something that's part of his style, is that he has a tendency sometimes to just try too hard. And... Okay, so you don't want Hal to be morally responsible for for the things that went on in Emerald Twilight. Fine. I'm not necessarily, or at least I wasn't necessarily crazy about that, 
but I can at least – I understand your point of view on that. I understand where you're coming from. Did you really need to explain, though, why the hell Hal's hair turned gray and then go to all the trouble of turning it back to brown? I mean, I'm sorry, dude. Was anybody losing sleep over that? No, and I, I simply – you know, because from issue one of the ongoing Green Lantern series that started up in the 90s, Hal had the gray streaks. And you just took that as that's part of him – growing older it's just one of those things that happens it was a progression in the character you didn't have to explain that this was the fact that how was being possessed by some entity and yeah i agree that was just sort of a worthless throwaway thing that i don't know why john's felt the need to explain you know yes i understand they want to make how more youthful but is how supposed to be younger here now or is he is still the same age that he was when supposedly he gave his life restarting the sun it doesn't seem to be so yeah it's just a stupid stupid thing that they put in there well and it's a it's a completely cosmetic thing but and i realize that but there's i'm one of those people that thinks that you develop character all different kinds of ways Sometimes it's in the text and in the dialogue and what the character does and what he says. But there's a lot of character sometimes in the way that a character looks. And to me, by the time of the, I guess, the post-crisis Green Lantern number one, um, the one that basically would see him become Parallax later on, because there are several different Green Lantern number ones that at stake here that we're talking about but basically Hal Jordan's um Hal Jordan's number 1 right after the crisis he that's when that is, to my understanding that's the first time that we saw that we saw him with with gray hair now I could be wrong on that but I don't remember seeing it before then and to me what that meant was he's a guy that he's he, he may have a little bit of a Han Solo streak in him that he, he's just kind of a freewheeling, fun-loving kind of guy. He's not always the most responsible person in the entire world. But this, but being chosen to be a Green Lantern is one of those things that it didn't, it didn't just define who he is. It changed the entire fucking direction of this guy's life. It was something that required so much discipline, so many hours of his, so much time and energy and concentration on his part. There were so many burdens that this guy carried around with him that it was starting to age him beyond his years. And this isn't necessarily a mark of weakness, or for that matter, even really age. It's actually a measure of Hal's maturity, that he goes from being the guy that was you know, arrested for uh, drunk driving in Emerald Dawn number one, to being a guy that took his duty and his obligations so fucking seriously that it was actually starting to take a physical toll on him. And... I'm not going to say that that was so informative of, who, of how I thought of Hal, but that is an aspect of his character that I, that I honestly, like to the extent that I liked Hal at all back then, I kind of liked that. He started off as being kind of a fuck-up, and then after he was chosen to be a Green Lantern, he realized that he's not only got to grow up as a man, he's got to grow up to be a champion, a superhero. And he acquitted himself nicely in the process. That's what his hair turning gray meant to me. And again, I, I freely admit it's a completely superficial thing, and I'm probably reading a lot of bullshit into there that isn't really part of the character. That's just something I'm projecting onto it. 
but like I said, character and characterization comes from so many different sources. And it's not just what the character does. I think in a lot of ways it comes down to how the character looks. That says something, you know? It says something that at one point Guy Gardner wore a fucking leather jacket. That was at one point thought to be a sign of that, – that was just a trendy thing for anybody who wanted to be seen as a rebel. That was something they would do. It's just kind of visual shorthand. That, and Guy Gardner, he was a little bit of a rebel. It's not bad you know, to, to mine that kind of aesthetic largesse. And so to, to just rinse all of that away is, you know, that's, par- that's Parallax's evil influence. And that's why, you know, his, his, uh, the hair on his temples had ever turned gray. I mean, hey, dude, you're worrying about this shit way too much. And I'm the guy that just spent five fucking minutes talking about all of this. But, but dude, mm-hmm. you are worrying about this stuff way too much. And it just, it, it feels like all of that is just, like I said, so much goes to character. What does this say about Jeff Johns then, that he could not abide Hal Jordan having gray hair when, honestly, I don't think anybody gave a shit. I really don't. You know. No, I agree. It's 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 like you said. It's a sign that Hal had matured as a character, and this was just a little visual representation. And the fact that Johns took that visual representation of Hal's maturity and Hal growing into the role of Green Lantern, and maybe yeah, like you said, the role of Green Lantern taking a toll on him physically and causing the temples or causing the sides of his hair to grow gray. It's a nice visual thing, but it doesn't mean that he's being possessed by some evil entity. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily, it's not necessary to explain. It's not something that I think people were getting eaten up of. And I think it's just a way that John's kind of a cheap way of John's, making a visual reference to say that this is how Hal Jordan was changed. So I I agree. I'm not a fan of it and I don't see why it was in there. Well and the other thing I wanted to I wanted to put into this and then we can we can move on because I don't think it's I'm not sure how uh normal it is for two heterosexual men to sit here talking about hair this much, but <laughs> the, the the thing I wanted to just kind of throw in there is that I feel like, as stupid as it may be, I kind of have a personal stake in this. I mean, my hair has been going gray since I was 17, and I remember when I was 17, I was laying out on my girlfriend's bed, and she was just picking you know the gray hairs out, and so the fuck does that say about me? Is there like some kind of demonic, parasitic entity inside of me, or is it just kind of sketchy genes that I started turning gray when I was 17, you know, I'm, you know, sometimes guys, a, a cigar is just a cigar. So, um, anyway, but moving right along, the other thing in all of this that about rebirth as a, as a story and for everything that it was in, that it was intended to do. One thing that kind of bugged me is that, look, I'm the guy in the room that always kind of liked the concept of Hal Jordan being the specter. Maybe I'm alone on that one, but that's the way I felt, and I felt like, you know, there is, in a weird kind of way, this was a combination redemption for Hal Jordan. At the same time, it was a weird, fucked up kind of penance for Hal Jordan. I mean, you know, for everything that he attempted to do during Zero Hour, which is basically unmake all of creation, what better way, what better justice is there for him? than to be sentenced for all of eternity to being, I guess, the avatar for the spirit of vengeance. This, I'm, you know, it's basically the complete fucking opposite of everything that he tried to do as Parallax. 
you know, there's a sense in which, you know, yeah, he there is redemption there, but it's also a kind of punishment too. And I felt like, you know, of all uh, of all characters, look, if Jim Corrigan can't be the Spectre for whatever reason, fine. There is no better candidate out there than Hal Jordan, if you ask me. I just kind of appreciated all of that. And so, look, if other people, if you thought that idea was shit, well, whatever. But, I mean, I just – that was something that I kind of responded to as a reader, and I, I wasn't necessarily happy to see that go. But the other thing that worried me about restoring all – not just Hal Jordan, but the entire Green Lantern Corps, I worried how all of this would ultimately come to affect Kyle. I'd yeah. been very invested in Kyle over the years, and to me, he was the Green Lantern. That was the Green Lantern I cut my teeth on when I was a kid, and I didn't think resurrecting the old status quo was necessarily going to benefit Kyle too much. And honestly, depending on how you look at it, I was either proven very, very right or very, very wrong. It's all in, it's all your perspective. I, what do you think? I mean, was that a justified concern for people to have you know how does this ultimately affect kyle and were they right to feel that way well it really does because it takes the focus off kyle as being this one individual lone green lantern and putting him in a a group a group of what will eventually be 3600 even though we only seem to focus on like oh maybe five or ten of them right but it does diminish the character, and the thing that we said at the beginning was Kyle was one of these people who felt the need to carry on this great responsibility of being Green Lantern, and it grew him as a character. Now you're taking away that uh, level of responsibility he had because you're bringing in all these other characters who can do the same thing. So it it, it does basically, in my opinion, diminish the character of Kyle Rayner by bringing all these other characters back. If I can, I'd like to go back to the whole idea about the Spectre as Hal Jordan. I agree. I do kind of like that, and I like your notion of Hal Jordan's penance having to be the uh, God's spirit of vengeance uh, in sort of an ethereal form. And that is kind of his penance for what he tried to do in Zero Hour. I would also like to mention that I do believe that that whole thing where Hal Jordan became the Spectre or became inhabited in the Spectre was in uh, the series Day of Judgment, right. which ironically enough was written by Jeff Johns. So Jeff Johns was the person who put Hal Jordan into the Spectre, and he's also the one who took Hal Jordan out of the Spectre. So yeah, take from that what you will. <laughs> yeah, weird. yeah, it is weird. That's always kind of fascinated me too. <laughs> um, as to Kyle, what – in Sean, do not take this as a slam. No. Please don't. But um, what I've come to believe is that some of the naysayers, not all of them, but some of them are kind of projecting all of their hatred, I think, for the return of Barry Allen and unfairly dumping that on Green Lantern. Um, whether, whether somebody likes what's happened with Kyle Rayner or not – they kind of have to acknowledge that the one thing DC hasn't done is sweep them under the rug. But at the same time, there can only be one Flash. And if Barry's back from the dead, that necessarily diminishes Wally West. If Barry is back from the dead, Barry is the Flash. So where does that leave Wally? 
Hal coming back from the dead. And this is one of those things that only had uh, that I needed time to kind of make peace with. But how coming back from the dead doesn't necessarily weaken Kyle. If anything, depending on how it's done, it enhances Kyle's place in the DCU because Kyle can be viewed as kind of an an elder statesman, the one guy who kept the flame burning when even the Guardians couldn't do it. And the other thing to remember is that. I don't think anybody was really all that fond of the way Hal Hal died. I mean, sure, there are worse ways to go, especially in comics, I guess. But Hal's death wasn't one of the great moments in all of comics. But damn it, Barry's death was. And bringing Barry back not only nullifies one of the best parts of Crisis on Infinite Earths, but it also ruins one of the greatest character moments of all time. Barry's sacrifice inspired Wally. To pick up precisely where Barry left off, the baton was literally passed from one generation to the next. And my argument is that that really didn't happen with Green Lantern. You didn't really get that from Hal going rogue and Kyle being chosen at random by Ganthet to replace him. So I guess what I'm saying is that comparing the return of, um, uh, of Barry and basically all of the stink that came from that, much of which I agree with, by the way, to the return of Hal, it's kind of a false equivalence in my mind. I mean, look, if people are still pissed off, and Barry came back from the dead, dude, that's fine. It, I'm not second-guessing you. I just don't think it's fair or accurate to all of the bile and stuff that has accumulated from Barry, and then putting that on the return of Hal as well. And that's just, you know, I hope no one takes offense at that, but that's just the way I feel about it. Well, no, I can I can agree with that, and I think you're I think you hit it on the head. The return of Barry Allen, because Barry Allen is the Flash. Hal Jordan is a Green Lantern. There are like like I said, supposedly 3,600 Green Lanterns out there. Right. The fact that Hal coming back and Guy and John and Kilowog and Salak and all these other characters coming back as Green Lanterns. It doesn't necessarily negate Kyle being Green Lantern, and it does kind of promote Kyle, like you said, as being the one person who carried the torch for all that time. But yes, I think there is a much greater injustice done to Wally by bringing Barry back because, you know, what is Wally going to do? Is he going to go back to be Kid Flash? Because there are, is a Flash now. There's not going to be two Flashes, I mean, unless you want to consider the Jay Garrick character, but he's completely different. Wally took on the mantle of the Flash, and he was supposed to be the same character that Barry was. When you bring Barry back, what happens to Wally? So, yeah, I can I can see your point there, and I'm glad that you made that, because that was another thing that kind of, in the comic book world, irks people about the bringing back the characters of Hal Jordan and Barry Allen was that it seemed to diminish the characters that carried on the legacy of them. Right. And the, the other thing is, um, I guess related to all of that, I haven't really talked too much about it on this show, but basically what I did was I read rebirth and that, or let me rephrase that. I reread rebirth. This was about, like two years ago, I guess. And basically, when I first read Rebirth, I'm like, you know what? Fuck this noise. I'm out of here. Um, I, I've got my Green Lantern. Nobody can ever take those back issues away from me. No one can ever take what, 
what Kyle ran, and I'm not trying to over-dramatize it. I'm just saying that this was basically my attitude about it at the time. I was a very um, dramatic 20-something. and um, We've all been there. <laughs> well, and you know, my attitude was, no one can ever take that away from me. Fuck you guys. I'm going home. And I did not follow follow along for what came next and and how Jordan's story reread rebirth like I said about two years ago and then I said you know what fuck it people have been creaming their pants over Jeff Johns's work on Green Lantern way too many people have been doing it for me to ever think that there's not something to all of this and so from issue number one going right on through to what was happening at the time which to put it in perspective I think we were just coming to the end of um, War of the Lanterns. This was right before uh, the launch of the new uh, 52. I had no idea that was coming at the time. I just, you know, it it just happened to be very good timing on my part. Went ahead and, and reread basically everything that had that, that had happened up to that point. It was like six or seven years worth of comics. And I got to tell you, I was a convert to all of that. I think a lot of good things came out of Rebirth, not least of which was, like I said, Jeff Johns writing some amazing stories. And understand, I mean, I kind of went in it, went into this with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I didn't want to like them, but I found myself in this time and place where I had to admit that all his stuff with the emotional spectrum and the other Lantern Corps, you know, the Sinestro Corps, uh, the Indigo Tribe and all that stuff, the Sinestro Corps War storyline – all that other shit. This is the kind of creativity and storytelling potential that Hal Jordan had arguably never had before, and it was because of that. And then ultimately, I think, and I forget the details, but I know that at least at one point, Kyle ended up becoming a full-time Blue Lantern, and and I think that's actually more of a New 52 thing when I finally got caught up on that, because I just wanted to finish off the Jeff Johns run. On, on all things Green Lantern, including things that really he wasn't writing. And the idea of Kyle Rayner as the as a sort of full-time uh, Blue Lantern worked for me on, on so many levels because at every step of the way, he's constantly... In fact, my argument is that whole New Guardians, maybe like the first two years of uh, the New Guardians was really all about what a what a badass Kyle Rayner is that he can master all of the colors of the spectrum, something I don't think any other character has has even attempted before. And it was anyway, like I said, I mean, it was I, whether or not it, it it was intended to be this way. This is what New Guardians was supposed to do. It elevated Kyle Rayner to a level where, honestly, I think the only thing that's left to do with that character as far as praising him is concerned is turning him into a guardian in his own right because so much has been done with with Kyle and I was worried and I think rightly so because Kyle kind of lost his prestige as the Green Lantern the one guy the you know the lone Green Lantern the lone ringslinger really in the entire DC universe and what I guess never crossed my mind was and I think maybe history was on my side with this one but it never occurred to me that DC might actually do right uh, by Kyle Rayner when honestly I I was just so upset that thing that my status quo was changing and maybe I just couldn't see the forest for the trees maybe that was the problem but 
in any in any case now did you ever read new guardians or, or what i mean what were your thoughts there uh, I, now i will admit i am woefully neglectful in reading any of the new 52 green lantern stuff so uh, i i've listened to a lot of shows and a lot of people have said that the new guardian stuff with kyle is some of the best uh, is some of the best new 52 uh green lantern books out there mm-hmm. uh a lot of people still praise Jeff Johns and his writing in Green Lantern, but a lot of people now are saying New Guardians is the way to go, and the way Kyle is handling that is is the most enjoyable part. Um, I like the fact that they're giving Kyle his own book and giving him the ability to handle any of the emotional spectrum. And I think you can see sort of in Rebirth the seeds for the idea of the various different Rainbow Lantern cores – being set up. In fact, uh, some of the artwork that I noticed initially when, uh, in fact, in I think issue one where Hal as the Spectre deals with Black Hand, yeah. when he initially pops up, you can see kind of behind him the energy forming around him looking a lot like the symbol for the Yellow Lanterns. So it's kind of subtly put in the book, and I think this is one of the most incredible very thought out, very simplistic, but perfect concepts to use for the Green Lantern Corps. The idea that the yellow ring functions off fear and it's anathema to the Green Lantern ring you know, works perfectly. And then bringing in the other different types of core, you know, the using the Scarlet or the uh, Star Sapphires for love, using Red Lanterns for rage and blue and indigo and all that it's the only one that doesn't really work for me and this is just because i'm not really into the character is the orange lantern with larflees but you know, oh whatever. man Lar- i love larflees okay well you know this will be where we can differ i i'm i'm not a fan of larflees i don't hate him i think he's an interesting character the idea that his core is basically constructs of you know aliens that he's killed but you know i think the comedy thing for kind of negates the the threat for me for larflees but i don't i i i like the concept i think jeff johns coming up with this concept of the emotional base spectrum of cores was really clever and i i this is the one thing they like that came out of this book right um well and you know sometimes uh, trying to think of maybe best way to put it what I worried about when I first heard about all the concepts of um, the different color cores and stuff, I hadn't really read any of the comics myself. And so what I bas- I, I basically projected a lot of assumptions onto there that and in the end, none of them really proved to be accurate. But what I thought was that basically these were Green Lantern cores, but basically just different colors. And they have different emotional values that motivate them. And, at the, and on the one hand, that's kind of true. But my assumption was that those values wouldn't be necessarily reflected in their core makeup. For example, the orange light of avarice. I thought, okay, so this is all about basically greed and hedonism. And you're going to make an entire fucking core of these people? Well, in fact, no, they didn't. But I thought, but again, I mean... Because I hadn't read the stuff, I thought that, you know, they'd come up with an idea, but they just didn't really close the loop on that. Like, how do you have? And I think even 
even now there's a sense in which I'm, I'm I wasn't completely wrong on that because I don't think you can have an entire core of of uh, people that are basically motivated by rage before that rage turns around and gets reflected upon each other. I don't exactly. think of, I mean it's kind of like the Sith they would kill each other. And I think maybe the same thing holds true for the Sinestro Corps. I mean, if you take that idea to the logical extension that these people are motivated by fear, that's their unifying philosophy. Well, in short order, you're going to have a you're going to have a bunch of people measuring dicks over who's scariest, and I kind of foresee a bloodbath. Now, anyway, so I'm not sitting here. I, I don't want to pick the entire thing apart because there, are, they did. Uh, Jeff Johns did. Uh, you know. Number one, he told some great stories about that. But at number two, he took things like that into account with all of with all of the stories that he, well, most of the stories that he told. There are times when I think he kind of played fast and loose with the psychology of it. But in the end, is this what I would have wanted things to be like if I had absolute control over things back in, I don't know, two thousand and four, two thousand and five? Well, maybe not, but. That being said, you know, I've gone, like I said, I mean, I've gone so hard on Jeff Johns in previous shows. I can't really, I can't really do that here because I feel like he, he brought his A game. He had, there was a story that he wanted to tell. It specifically had to be about Hal Jordan. He justified bringing Hal Jordan back from the dead and whatever marketing decisions were that may have been the true motive behind all of this. They wanted to have the most recognizable Green Lantern wearing a ring again. I'm not. I'm never going to be convinced that wasn't Dan DiDio's motivation and at least being receptive. I'm not, I'm not sure where this idea originated, but for but for why the management rolled with it, I'm never going to be convinced that it wasn't a marketing thing. They wanted to have the most recognizable Green Lantern that anybody knew back in action again and that's i'm sorry that's always going to be hal jordan and i i agree with something that you stated i think in a previous show and i think it was the one that we recorded with scott where you posited that they wanted to bring green lantern back and make him such a impressive character because of the whole uh deal with the heirs of siegel and schuster and the possibility of superman possibly going away they wanted to have a highly recognizable cosmic type character so they promoted hal jordan just as sort of a backup in case something happened with the superman character well you know what be careful saying that in a comic book shop because people will give you a lot of raised eyebrows i mean it's almost like going into a bar and telling people about conspiracy theories regarding i don't know oh i i can see it i can see it kind of in the back of their minds and i don't hold it against dc as you know as kind of playing it as uh, playing it safe by trying to do this because yeah, things were going pretty, pretty badly with the whole Siegel Schuster thing with DC. So there was that possibility that they could have lost the character of Superman. So who do they place? I mean, yes, they could do Batman, but you know, they can only do 14 issues of a Batman comic a month. They've got to have other people up there. So, Maybe promote Green Lantern, but right. yeah, right. Well, and that, and that was yeah. That's a. I, I think there's something to that. But um, now, 
is that the only thing that you that because uh, you and I had been talking a, a little bit about this? Um, you mentioned that there was a kind of a grenade that you wanted to roll out there about a Dandadio. Well, yeah, I think I think like I said, I think this was a really good story. I think Jeff Johns is a good storyteller and he has great concepts, but I do think this kind of smacks of Dandadio wanting to have the classic characters back. You know, this eventually led to bring back Barry Allen, mm-hmm. and it eventually led to the new 52. And I think we saw sort of the beginnings of a darkening of the DC universe, sort of not really maybe stem from this, but start here. Because after this, we had, you know, Infinite Crisis, where we saw people getting off left and right. We see Superboy Prime taking out. Uh, members of the Titans and all that. This led to Blackest Night, where we get Black Hand, who essentially prior to this was just a goofy character with a dustbuster that collected Green Lantern energy and did petty crimes like robbing banks with little goofy aphorisms. Mm-hmm. Turn into a necrophiliac uh, avatar of death who decided to blow his own brains out on panel in a very grisly splash page. And I don't know if it was code approved comic. I don't know whether they were still doing it at the time, but a, a green lantern comic one second. Right. Had to meet for a second, mm-hmm. but I think this was sort of the beginning of a darkening in the DC universe. And I don't lay the blame necessarily on Jeff Johns. I think Jeff Johns just wanted to tell good stories. I think Dan DiDio kind of wanted to darken it. And that's the one, I think, negative thing I could say about Rebirth. I think this is kind of the point in time where we see DC getting a bit more as not a fun place to live anymore. And it's kind of ironic at the end of it, we see Batman make that comment at the end that maybe the DC universe needs a bit more light. And in the end, I think the DC universe just didn't quite get that light with Green Lantern. Hal Jordan coming back did try and bring sort of a light to it, but it was also in the story kind of that slow creeping, at least for me, that sort of slow creeping descent into a darker, more visceral, more unfriendly type DC universe. And I, you know, and, and I agree. I never really liked the, um, I don't know what you, the kind of celebration of the macabre that DC ended up becoming. I mean, I think, you know, I, I and this actually, it, it maybe it's quibbling, but I would actually put the real start of that as being Infinite Crisis, where, you know, a character got raped. Or identity? Identity crisis. Oh, sorry, identity crisis, right. My bad. Where a character actually ended up getting raped on panel. And, you know, there was. See, I'm, I'm about to actually praise an act of rape, and that just feels so terrible to me. But um, <laughs> I guess. It, 
within the parameters of the story, okay? <laughs> Obviously, I am not praising rape as a, a no. practice, but within the parameters of the story, it, it's not one of those things that was done just for shock value and then it got sh- swept under the rug. This was really the beginning of the characters involved making some very, very terrible decisions. Somebody violated someone else, and what this meant for the for the characters was that playtime was over, the Silver Age, I guess, is over. The time of innocence is over, and from there, they every decision they made now was motivated based upon pain, fear, secrecy, lies, dishonesty. Basically, all of the negative, the very darkest of humanity, and it starts with something that that really has kind of benign purposes to it. They want to protect somebody from from the pain and shame of, uh, of of an act of rape, and I can completely understand that. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But it was almost like the 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 like the moral of that, the kernel of what they were trying to do, the fundamentally honorable thing under the circumstances, the most honorable thing they could do of you know modifying people's memories and all of this stuff. That that kind of a thing ended up getting sort of thrown thrown out the window and now we just see page after page after page of of the most shocking and depraved acts of violence and other things that these these are not things to be celebrated but you know and it, and god knows it was not celebrated in infinite crisis it was there to serve a purpose and it was like that that same type of mentality if you must have something like that in there it needs to serve a purpose that was what was ultimately done away with. I mean, it's one of those things that if you put something like that in a comic book and it goes somewhere, it's actually motivating a story or a character or something like that, then, you know, I guess that's fine, unless it's fucking Mary Marvel, and then, guys, do we really need to go there? Oh. But... J. David Weeder is weeping. Yeah, well, it, it's just, yeah. like, what I'm saying is, you know, it, it, I, I, I agree with you that it, it just kind of felt like there came a point when it was all about how do you gross out the readers rather than Mm-hmm. If you must put something like that in there, where do you go with it? And it was there was a sort of not just changing of the content. It was like it, it was almost a, a changing of the thought processes of how they of how they tell these stories, and that's ultimately what I find most most disturbing. Yeah, well, it it went from that point in Identity Crisis where the horrific thing, the rape of Sue Dibney and her death, yo was an actual plot point was an actual thing that motivated the story and pushed it along to just horrible things happen just because they happen. There was really no, there was really no impetus for them having, there was no, it it wasn't necessary to drive the plot. It was just there for shock value. And when stuff is there for shock value, you become, you know, a bad EC horror ripoff. Right. And I, I don't think DC needs to be that. I think DC, if they want to tell stories that have adult themes, and I guess this is something that I talked about prior on my show, DC nowadays considers its stuff adult in the eyes of like a 13-year-old. Right. An adult is boobies and violence. Right. And I think there is a difference between adult stories and mature stories. I would I would posit that Identity Crisis is a mature story that deals with mature subjects, and Infinite Crisis is more of an adult story that just deals with violence, sometimes for violence' sake. Right. Well, and Prosecution Exhibit A on that would be um, 
to draw a contrast, in Identity Crisis, like you said, Sue Dibney was raped and murdered. Um, then in Infinite Crisis, I think it was Infinite Crisis. It was either Infinite Crisis or it was a Justice League Crisis on Three Worlds, I forget which, but basically Superboy Prime punches a regular human in the head so hard that guy's head just fucking explodes. Or, mm-hmm. or no, or wait, was it that or did he tear some? It was either did that or he tore somebody's think, arm off. I forget which. Uh, well, yeah, it might have been uh, Speedy or Roy Harper's. Am I, am I thinking right? I might be. I uh, See, it's been so long since I've read Infinite Crisis, I, I, I can't remember everything. I just remember it being horribly violent. I remember Superboy Prime beating living snot out of Connor Kent as well. Yeah. So. And you know, at, and at least you know Connor Kent, you know, dying again. That's something that, that that goes to serve the story. And I don't remember that being. He was covered basically in bruises and blood and cuts and all this stuff, as anybody probably would be if they throw down with what amounts to a pre-crisis level of power, Superman. Mm-hmm. But ripping somebody's arm physically off of their body with your bare hands and showing that graphically on panel. And especially, I think it was this incredibly dense uh, and detailed art. Uh, I don't want to say it was George Perez, because I'd like to think he wouldn't draw something that just gratuitous. But maybe he would. I don't know. But it it felt like content had gone from being a uh, plot point, like you said, to being a selling point. And, you know, I hate to say it, but it it was almost like DC became the uh, universe of snuff books. And, you know, maybe the maybe the real roots of it are actually right here and I'm just not I'm just not seeing it. But it always kind of felt like that, you know, at least in at this point in time, Jeff Johns had a clear enough vision. He wasn't going to let himself get swept away with marketing and all these other things appealing to what, you know, people at least think 13 year old kids want to see. And. Let's face it, this is – I mean anytime you, you deal with stories where people come back from the dead and you've got the specter running around and all that stuff, I mean this was never going to be a shiny, happy story any way you look at it. But it felt like you know the darkness here and the grit and the violence, it was all supposed to go somewhere. And I don't really think any of it ever really went too over the top. But in short order, and I mean within like a year or something like that, maybe two years – the DC universe that at least I had grown up reading became a very different and very, I don't, and this may be going to sound kind of puritanical, but kind of scary place. And mm-hmm. of all places, I just don't think that should ever be said of the DC universe. Cause to me, this is the universe of imagination of possibility of, of, of the impossible. And anyway, I'm rambling now. So no, it, it makes perfect sense. You want, let the Marvel universe, which is supposed to be more grounded in, you know, regular reality, deal with, you know, the foibles and the the problems of humanity. DC universe is supposed to be fantastical and supposed to be sort of a bright shining light and that they have to try and darken it to the extent that they did really does a disservice to the universe as a whole. And I think it's one of the sort of sticking points for a lot of readers that, that kind of was a jumping off point for them. So, well, that's basically what I had about a rebirth. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, chip in with? No, I, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I guess 
I'm kind of glad that uh, Guy was brought back to Green Lantern status. Oh, shit. Yeah, uh, that was one other thing. Oh, damn. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, you know, uh, I like the fact, you know, I'm a fan of Guy Gardner, even in his Voldarian stage, even in the Morphin Guns thing. I love Bo Smith. And Bo Smith, in an interview that I did with him, actually said that Jeff Johns contacted him to ask him about writing Guy Gardner. And I think, for the most part, uh, Jeff Johns did write with Guy Gardner, which is more than I can say with a lot of other people. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Howard Jakin. Fuck you and that's collateral damage piece of shit that was awful um while we're cussing but, out howard shaken would you mind if i chip in go ahead i'd like to say fuck you howard shaken for that horrible shadow miniseries from the 80s that oh, is no. the complete opposite of everything that the shadow is supposed to be and you are cordially invited to go fuck yourself go ahead nice. sean okay but uh I think Guy Gardner eventually would uh, spin off into the Green Lantern Corps thing, book where he and Kyle basically became a buddy cop team. And I've heard really great things about that. I've read a few issues of that, and I need to go and pick that up because I think I would really enjoy that. And I think Peter Tomasi eventually got to write the character, and I think Peter Tomasi got the character. So I like what Jeff John sort of started with Guy and how Guy progressed going back to being Green Lantern. I agree. And, you know, my my first experience with Guy Gardner, I think the first time I ever read anything from him was um, he, he – and, of course, now I'm blanking on the issue number. But I, th- I want to say it was Adventures of Superman number 472 where uh, basically Hal was imprisoned by this uh, underground. He was imprisoned by some sort of alien uh, invader who basically can't come to Earth millions of years ago to conquer his battery ran out, and so he was just kind of fucked. He happened across Hal Jordan, who was doing his David Banner journey at the time, wandering cross-country, trying to find himself. He ended up getting attacked and then imprisoned by this alien, so Superman and Guy Gardner had to come to the rescue. And I thought that Guy was kind of this loudmouth, just kind of, I don't know, wannabe that he he wasn't anywhere near as cool as he thought he was mm-hmm. and i just really did not like how upon that or how i did not like guy upon that uh, first story of his that i read and no disrespect to dan jurgens who i think wrote that story but i think other uh, other writers came along and um did better by guy but the first time I can really remember saying, you know what, this is a cool friggin' character, was um, actually right here in Rebirth. This was the first time that I saw Guy Gardner's potential. That, yeah, he's a loudmouth and a tiny little bit of a frat boy, but his abilities are very much in line with his rhetoric. He's not just idly talking smack, he can really do the job. And he's the kind of guy that uh, the Guardians – I think Guy Gardner is at his best when he's written as a little bit of a maverick in a way that Hal, Hal Jordan just isn't. Guy Gardner is always a little bit more willing to cross the line. He's got a very high opinion of himself, but he backs it up at every step of the way instead of just being a loudmouth with a serious ego problem. But he's – an otherwise fairly ineffectual character. Number one, it, it kind of calls the Guardian selection process into question. But number two, it just kind of begs the question, why would anybody let this dumb son of a bitch keep the ring? Well, <laughs> if you read, um, now, what was it, Green Lantern Corps, I almost said New Guardians. 
um, you find out real quick, or especially, uh, what is it, recharge or rebuilding? or Yeah, recharge. recharge. You find out, you know, how how much an alpha male Guy Gardner really is. So, again, this I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think Guy Gardner is at his best as a Green Lantern, but I did like the... I, I also also like the leather jacket phase, but yeah, he kind of lost me after that. I understand. And um, <laughs> it, it's 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 an acquired taste, trust me. All right. Well, and and so that was something else that I wanted to mention. This thing really did not directly, maybe, but it did ultimately lead to a lot of benefits for Guy Gardner, and uh, for that, I'm I'm grateful. I just like seeing gingers in comics, and so <laughs> uh, that's. It's always welcome. So, and that is my final word about uh, rebirth. So, is there anything else for you? Or no, I I think I got most of it out. I I enjoyed the story. I understand its uh, significance in the new direction that DC was wanting to go. There were some problems I had with it, art wise and story wise. Right. But overall, I think it was a good enough story. And I think Jeff John. I think I think it's probably one of the better stories that Jeff Johns has written out there. I would agree. I would agree. And whatever problems I may have with Jeff Johns as a writer, you actually kind of tackled it a while ago. That mostly extends to his work on Superman and Batman. The minute you move him away from the big icons, I, I kind of consider myself to be a bit of a Jeff Johns fan. So, all right. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Well, the, First and foremost place you can find me would be at the Two True Freaks website, where I do a show called Just One of the Guys, which is a Green Lantern podcast that focuses on the characters of Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner predominantly. Right now, we're heading up into the issues of uh, the 100 issues, where, like we said at the beginning of the show, Hal Jordan is coming back and Kyle is dealing with that. I also do a, a horror podcast along with uh, Chris Tyler, Chris Honeywell, and Luke Giaconetti on the uh, Two True Freaks Network called The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. <laughs> per, uh, that, uh, that was just basically in a drug-addled haze. You know, Chris Honeywell came up with as many EC horror titles together and mashed them all up. <laughs> I know, and I love it. <laughs> it's a... In that series, we are covering right now uh, some Italian horror movies. Uh, the one that should be coming out pretty soon is Short Night of Glass Dolls, which is a really bizarre one. And we're going to be finishing up here in probably a month or so with uh, perhaps one of the most controversial Italian horror movies, probably one of the most controversial horror movies out there. We're going to be doing Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, yeah, so. Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, if you are in any way interested in hearing uh, guys talk about the uh, wholesale slaughter of actual live animals on film, yeah, tune into that. Um, and then finally, one that you know I know that you could give two shits about. I do a show called Who True Freaks with a rotating panel of guests <laughs> over at Two True Freaks where we talk about Doctor Who, which <laughs> I know you have related as being a character that you could really not care about. I just I've heard is, too much about it, that's all. Well, and I understand that, and I, I I agree with your sentiment that sometimes people who promote stuff too much can back can backfire in that promotion, and the sort of fangasms that people have about it can end up turning people off from wanting to watch that. So I completely sympathize with you, and you know my hope would be if eventually this all does die down, there are some good things in it. But I again. Don't watch it if you don't like it. Oh, actually, and, and since we're on the subject, um, you do know, uh, and I, and I want to put you on the spot here just so everyone else knows, too. You do know 
that none of that griping and bitching and complaining of mine, none of that was directed at you or one or any of the other hoot oh. freaks, right? Oh, no, no, no. I understand. There there are a lot of people who just go overboard. And I've talked to actually uh, some friends of mine on, on the internet that that they're like, look, I'm tired of hearing about Doctor Who. Everything is Doctor Who, Doctor Who. Just shut up for a while and let me enjoy the show as it is. Uh, you know, sometimes, yes, people can promote things to such an extent that uh, annoys the hell out of me. And I can understand where you're coming from. All so, right. yes, uh, no offense is taken. Sorry, all right, good, very good. All right, well, um, so I, I think that's pretty much it for me then. And uh, and I just want to thank Sean. Thank you very much for uh, joining in today. I realize this is a, a little bit outside of your wheelhouse on a, just one of the guys, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to tackle it here. And so that's basically what I've got. So thank you very much for joining me. I'm, I'm glad to do this. This was actually something I, I wanted to actually take a look at and see how I looked at it through uh, the eyes of Bone. Oh, what is it about you know eight years coming after this actually closer to 10 now so yeah 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 we're very close to 10 yeah so well anyway thanks again i appreciate you taking the time uh to join me today and talk about all this stuff and uh, bye everybody i'll see you next week we are out awesome Wow, I'm really glad I decided to pony up and take my wife to Italy for her birthday. The food, the sights, the atmosphere, it's all just so perfect. <sighs> Too bad I had to ask if there was a comic book shop located at the Vatican. Uh, maybe it wasn't the brightest thing to do on her birthday, but granted, I'm certain I've done things way more foolish than that. Good afternoon. Gah! Where did you come from and who the heck are you? My name is Dufo de Manzo. And where I come from is none of your concern. What is of your concern is that I have an offer to make of you. An offer that you should not refuse. Uh, okay. What is it? I have listened to your podcasts, and it just so happens that I am in the podcasting business myself. Someday I will ask a favor of you, one that I hope you will repay to me in good faith. When you do so... You will become a part of my family, and your show will prosper along with it. Oh, that sounds great. What do I need to do? You will know when the time is right. Until then, I wish you and your lovely wife the happiest of times in my fair country. Uh, oh, okay. Cool. Some time has passed. And that does it for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll catch you all next week. Bravo. Bravo. God! How how the hell did you find me, and how did you get in my house? Do not worry yourself with such trivial matters. I have seen your work with this podcast, and I have come to accept the favor that is owed to me. Uh, but you never said what you wanted from me. That is true. So let me restate it now. Wait, what? I have started up a brand new podcasting venture entitled Two True Freaks. I am setting them up with their own website, 
twotruefreaks.com and I am gathering up podcasts such as yours that have gained my favor to become a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I will do the honor of putting the Just One of the Guys on the Two True Freaks network, and in return, our debt will be settled. Oh, okay. Hey, wait, what debt? Do you accept my offer? Uh, sure. I mean, does this mean I'll get paid for the show finally? No. Oh, okay. Well, does it mean I'll get some cannoli? Of course. The Demanzo family originated cannoli. In fact, we are known the world over for our stuffing of creamy fillings in the tubes. Come check out Just One of the Guys every Friday at twotruefreaks.com. If you like strange pop culture, if you like obscure stuff that you wish you'd have heard of years ago and you don't know what it is, if you like just that kind of stuff, old radio, um, obscure, unmarketable pop culture, uh, strange chiptune music, um, all sorts of things like that can be found on the Quake Reversal Satellite on Overnightscape Underground at O-N-S-U-G dot com. It's an amazing show at an amazing place full of uh, strange and unmarketable internet transmissions. Hours and hours and days and just O-N-S-U-G dot com. Take a look around and I bet you you'll find something. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus punches reality there you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when i put them up you can friend me on facebook by searching for trentus magnus which is spelled t-r-e-n-t-u-s-s-m-a-g-n-u-s-s you can email me and my parole officer at 
trentusmagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so... Why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. It's one of those things where you really can't pin down where you got it from. Okay. After that comes that summary that I grabbed off of uh, Wikipedia. I was going to read that and also get taco grease all over my freaking hand. Hold on. <laughs> Perfectly cool. I'm down with that. All right, cool. All right, well, I'm eating... Um, you hit Del Taco or what'd you do? Well, um, I went to Taco Pizza Bell Hut. <laughs> Let's see, two orders of nachos, the uh, tiny ones, and then I got oh, that yeah. uh, three taco combination that has the um, the drink included with it. Yeah. yeah. Now, some people m- would say that that's too much cheese, to which I say, heresy. There's no such thing as too much <laughs> cheese. I fully agree. I, I, I loved when you were uh, commenting on the Facebook about the Egg McMuffin that you got, which was basically seven slices of cheese on the McMuffin. I could completely go for that i can't really get above a certain weight now it's gotten a little bit better like 10 years ago i think if i had a full stomach and i was soaking wet with all my clothes on i could break 120 pounds jesus christ man yeah uh these days it's actually a little bit different i'm actually closer to like 165 that's where just naturally it wants to be right now but yeah uh it doesn't really matter what i eat i can eat as much of anything that i like and um 
I'm right at 160. There are so many people on the internet right now who hate your fucking guts for that. <laughs> I can't help it. 